short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Welcome back to the Cold in the D show. Uh, my name is Cameron Riley. Yours isn't. Uh, we um, have had all sorts of technical challenges this morning. Right. So if this goes completely off the fucking rails, hey, it's the NSA. It's, uh, the N- it's the NSA. It's what it is. It's what happens. I would like to they take use- the moment, take a moment, please, and just and I just want to say for my own um, whatever that I just want how much I respect Vladimir Putin. He's doing a lot of good things for Russia. And uh, the lawyer, the Russian lawyer who was accidentally fell out of a four-story window, who represented a whistleblower about people from the government stealing money, uh, I think it was an accident. I think Putin's great. And uh, hopefully we won't have any other misfortunes like this. I just wanted that on the record. They said it was an accident. They were delivering a piano, and he somehow fell out of the four-story window. He had severe head injuries, but he did survive. <laughs> yeah. Mate, don't believe everything you uh, read in the American newspapers. All right. <clears throat> well, here we are, Cold War episode 40. Um, you may have seen on Facebook, if you're uh listening to this in real time i posted a picture of a chessboard designed for a variation on the game of chess called the yalta variation instead of having two people playing on a four-sided board you have three people (laughs) playing on a six-sided board imagine you got three boards and sort of put them together on the corners and then fucking did some magic and merged them all together It's like a Harry Potter chessboard. The rules are pretty much the same as normal chess, except when you get into the middle, there's a lot of complexity stuff that starts happening. And uh, according to the rules for Yalta, any disagreements about the rules are solved by casting votes amongst the three participants. And alliances obviously get made between the uh, people to try and defeat the third and those alliances can be made and broken as often as necessary. And the Ukrainian historian S.M. Ploki, whose book Yalta, The Price of Peace, uh, we are finding invaluable in uh, our discussion of Yalta. uh, He said that the creators of the Yalta game of chess grasped the basic rules of engagement at Yalta better than many historians who have studied the conference. So there you go. Try and track down one of those boards and uh, we should all learn to play that because really, as we're going to see over the next couple of episodes, we're getting into uh, days four and five at Yalta. 
you know, alliances breaking down, being reformed, crackling, snapping, uh, like bones breaking all over the place. It's yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a bit of a mess. Tensions are rising after th- after three days of this. Uh, some people are starting to lose their shit, lose their cool. <laughs> Well, I find it interesting. So if you think about it so far, three days, you know, Stalin wanted Germany divided up a whole bunch of different ways. He's able to get uh, some um, partition, uh, but the French are going to be brought in. He's not happy about that. France is going to make strong again because they're going to need a European power to balance out Russia. Um, He tried to get reparations. It doesn't look like that's going anywhere. Even Churchill said, hey, you know, we could really use $3 billion. That'd be nice. So not everybody's getting everything they want. And now, like you said, everybody's getting frustrated. Even the United States, they're not getting what they want on Poland. They're not getting what they want on the uh, voting formula of the United Nations. So everybody so far seems to be getting something of what they want. There's no clear winners here. But the next three episodes, like Cam said, is going is to rise and fall with the tensions and the alliances and backstabbing. I mean, this, this, these next three episodes are just replete with the, with the terms. But, however... And on the other hand, in the meanwhile, so there's just so much drama going on. Just grab something firm and hang on, and we'll get you through this. So when we last finished at the end of day three, which was February 6, 1945, they couldn't reach any agreement on Poland or the UN. You may remember that uh, Frankie No Legs wrote Joey the Knife a love letter. You can't say that, you Bastard. Begging him to think about how all of this was going to play back home. And by home, he means the US and the UK. He and Winnie the Pooh were worried about their upcoming elections. So days four and five, the 7th and 8th of February, are going to be about trying to get agreement on those issues and the issue of the Soviets entering the war with Japan. Now, remember, the original plan for Yalta was that the entire conference would last only five or six days. So they're already going into day four now. They're halfway through. So at this stage, resolving a lot of these big thorny issues must have appeared pretty hopeless to the participants. As it turns out, they end up going longer than they originally planned. But, uh, you know, they're getting bogged down every time, uh, just saying, all right, well, we need to move on. Let's send this down to the foreign ministers at their next meeting to to sort of pick it apart. The big three guys themselves don't seem to be able to agree on much. Yeah, so uh, Harry Hopkins and James Burns, they get together with Statinius and they say, look, we've got to get this voting formula locked down in the Security Council. So you have to make it happen in the foreign minister's meeting this day on February 7th, the fourth day. And so they go to their palace to uh, have their foreign minister's meeting. However, Molotov is residing and Molotov, you can might as well call him Stalin Jr., is not going to put up for this. But Statinius is pretty clever. Even though Molotov is presiding, Satinia says, oh, by the way, the presentation that I gave yesterday that you really seem to like, um, anything that didn't make sense, anything that I can clear up for you, I'd be happy to answer it now. So he's trying to hijack the foreign minister's meeting. But of course, there's no way Molotov is going to tolerate that because his boss would not tolerate that. Yeah, it's an interesting situation. So... 
Molotov, who's the presiding chairman of the foreign minister's uh, meeting that day, uh, when Steady, Big Steady, brings up the issue of voting in the UN, Molly just puts his fingers in his ears and goes, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you. And so that was the kind of end of that. Uh, so the foreign minister's meeting happens. The UN voting discussion didn't even come up. And this is a huge disaster for the Americans. This is Roosevelt's big issue, right? He wants to, the, he wants his legacy. He, he probably knows he doesn't have long left on the planet here. And his, the big thing he wants to get done is bring the world together in the United Nations and Molotov won't even discuss it. But then, later that afternoon... Just before the plenary meeting, the one with the big three, and as we know, they normally kicked off about four o'clock in the afternoon. Just before it's about to begin, Winnie the Pooh plumped his big orange ass with no pants down in between Frank and Steady. Now, Steady was shocked and asked him what he wanted, and Winnie just replied, I love honey. And they were like, what? That doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> I love honey. <laughs> did you know, oh, Ray, mother. that the bear, Winnie the Pooh, was actually... Did you know he was actually named after Winston Churchill? Yes. Well, you're wrong, because it's the other way around. Winston Churchill <laughs> was actually named after the bear. Nice. No, that's not true either. I'm fucking with you. I knew there was a connection. I'm fucking with you. Neither of those is true. Um, no, it was a guy from World War One. It was a guy from World War One. Yes. Actually, the bear in the book is named after a real bear that was at the London Zoo and was named by its original owner after his hometown, Winnipeg, in uh, Canada. And speaking of Winnipeg, did you know, Ray? I'm sure you did. This is a fact. Winnipeg sits on the mm. confluence of two rivers. Uh, one river is called the Red River, and the other river is called Assenbuan. And the original name of the town is actually just Red Ass, Red Ass, but you know, because it was at the confluence of the two rivers, but eventually they changed it. They thought, no, it's good. we'll change it to Winnipeg. Anyway, that's not true either. They, they does sit on the rivers, but don't listen to anything I'm saying. Wise move. Back to Yalta. Anyway, so Pooh Bear said, he sits down in between Frankie and Steady, and he says, Uncle, Uncle Joe will take Dumbarton Oaks. And then he gets up and he leaves. And Steady and Frank are just looking at each other like, what the fuck just happened? Well, basically that means wow. that the Soviets are going to accept the American voting formula that was proposed, the UN Security Council voting formula that was proposed at Dumbarton Oaks. One nation, one vote, etc., etc. They get the veto, blah, 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 blah. But A, Molotov wouldn't even talk to Steady about it a couple of hours ago at the foreign minister's meeting. B, <laughs> how the fuck does Churchill know what the Soviets are going to do? When did that happen? So and and can they trust that? Why is he delivering the message? Why why didn't Uncle Joe come and deliver the message? Why did Molotov deliver the message? Why the fuck is the Prime Minister of England telling the Americans <laughs> what the Soviets have decided outside of the plenary meetings and just before it begins? Uh, when they asked him just before he walked away, he just said, "I love honey," 
and went off looking for Tigger and Christopher Robin. So they never really got to find it. They're just going to have to wait and see. Head games. Yeah, so um, so they get the meeting started, and um, FDR makes an opening statement, and he says, look, I want to talk about Poland. I am more concerned about this Polish government question than I am about Poland's borders. I mean, those are just lines on maps. We can figure out this later. We have got to nail down what kind of government is going to be in Poland and who's going to be in it. Um but see what would normally when they uh, when they have the meetings in the afternoon it starts off with whatever foreign minister was in charge of that meeting their meeting this morning who speaks first which is Molotov so Molotov you know he he's, he stands up and he starts speaking he talks about german issues he talks about the planned partition german reparations uh and then he's going to start talking about poland and so finally fdr starts paying attention to him but then stalin interrupts him yeah, that's right. He says, um, uh, vodka, vodka. Hi, God. Hey, what? I sound like fucking Manuel off of Faulty Towers. He says, <clears throat> I got your letter last night, Mr. President, and thank you very much for the perfume and the kisses that you put in there. It is very lovely. I love your letter. I like the, I like the, <laughs> The pink paper that you put it on that made me feel very much loved. Um, <laughs> he says, but, uh, you know, your suggestion that we have to create a new government in Poland, I totally agree. And uh, I have reached out to the Lublin Poles, the Poles in Warsaw, but I haven't been able to get them on the phone. Um, so I really can't, uh, we can't talk about Poland until I, I'm able to talk to the representatives of the Polish government. Um, he, he also says that Molotov has been working on an official response. He's got a plan. He's got a six point plan. Um, but it hadn't been translated into English yet. And the person who's doing the translation is doing the old hunt and peck method. Uh, of translation, so it's going to take some time. <laughs> they don't have any fast typists in the Soviet contingent at Crimea. So uh, he says, "Look, it's we 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 we're working on it. We're working on it. We can't get the polls on the phone. We can, we, we we haven't got the document. We'll get back to that. But meanwhile, meanwhile, let's talk about uh, the UN voting model. How about that?" And the Americans got super excited that he brought it up and not them. They thought they were going to have to push that. They're like. They did this little clap, um, and he asked Molly to report. And Molly basically said, yeah, we're, 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 we're happy with the Dumby Oaks model. Yeah, yeah, Dumb Oaks, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we changed our mind, we're good. Everyone's, everyone's cheering, <laughs> champagne is popping, tongues, there's tongue kissing going on between the Americans and the British. It's like they're in various states of undress. The lube has come out. Baby oil being squirted all over Churchill's oh, Churchill's semi-naked body. They're rubbing up. They're bouncing. Oh, it was it was disgusting. So shit. And then and then Molly Molly says, but yeah. so first of all, when they were having the party, some guy comes out painted blue and he's got alcohol and cocaine for everybody. So the Americans are very relieved. I mean, this is their major thing. And Molotov also says. Because of Mr. Stentinius's report, and also because of Ch Mr. Churchill's wonderful explanations that have clarified all the issues for us, so he's given props to Churchill, we now accept it in its entirety. So, yeah, so everybody's happy. And like you said, Molotov says, 
However, he wasn't done speaking. He said um, we, there was also some topics covered at Dunbarton Oaks that were discussed but not resolved. And that's some of the, uh, the Soviet Republic's membership into the United Nations. Now, the USSR no longer demands that all 16 republics be members, but hopefully, and hopefully you can see this, at least, you know, three, maybe at least two should be allowed in. And FDR gets a little nervous at this, and he goes, you mean into the General Assembly, not on the Security Council, right? Stalin says, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. So, okay. So, um, so Molotov, again, makes, makes a brilliant argument for his side. He says, the dominions of the British Commonwealth have gradually and patiently achieved their place as entities in international politics. It is only right that three, or at least two, of these Soviet republics should find a worthy place among the members of the assembly. Their sacrifices and contributions to the war earned them that place. And you have to remember that right before Molotov says this, they just gave FDR the one big thing that he wanted, besides a high colonic, that he came to Yalta for. He has got his United Nations. He's going to go down in history, whatever you want to call it. Hopefully no more world war. But the price is that the the, uh, Russians won at least two, hopefully three republics allowed into the UN when it opens. Yeah. Now, you've got to admire their negotiating skills here, mm-hmm. the Ruskies. They said at first they wanted 16, all 16 of the republics in the USSR given membership to the GA. Then they, they've come back to two. They're like, look, we've given up a lot here. Okay, we're being reasonable. We Are, are we not reasonable men? Yeah. And they've just given Churchill, as you say, what he wanted. <laughs> they've accepted the voting um, strategy for the Security Council. So it's, they're, they're, you know, they're they're playing their cards very cleverly here. Look, we've 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 given you concessions. Now you need to give us a concession. But Ch- um, sorry, Roosevelt, Frankie No Legs is definitely totally against this idea. As are all of the Americans of of giving the uh, Russians additional republics and treating them as separate countries in the GA. Um, you know, the whole idea of the United Nations is one nation, mm-hmm. one vote. Um, but as we'll see, Stalin is able to put forward a very strong case and he gets support from uh, a corner that you may not expect. Yeah. So the, idea, the problem that the Americans have here is they don't believe that these republics... And the two main ones that uh, the, the Russians are trying to get admitted are the Ukraine and Belarus, or White Russia, as uh, it was called by the English and Americans at the time. And perhaps Lithuania was the third that they wanted. And as you mentioned, Molotov said, these three republics had borne the greatest sacrifices in the war and were the first to be invaded by the enemy. But from the view of the Americans... These weren't really independent countries or independent republics even. They they were all bound tightly to the Soviet leadership in Moscow and had to do what they said. So really, they're not really independent. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Stalin said, look, well, they've got some sort of freedom. Um, you know, we, 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 we let them do what they want. Eh, really, you know, it's, you know, yes, Nikita Khrushchev is the head of the Ukraine government, but yeah, I barely know the guy. Um, at least he's Ukrainian. Now, 
as we've, I think, mentioned before, from from the Soviets' perspective, they were worried about getting outvoted on things in the General Assembly, and they had pointed out that the British Commonwealth countries all were getting represented, and even though they, countries like Australia and, and Canada and, and, and New Zealand, etc., even though they were independent, had their own governments, they they would tend to vote as a block with the United Kingdom. Uh, and so really, that's not really uh, really independent if they're going to vote as a block uh, in favours of the British Empire. Same with yeah. the United States. They had puppet governments in Latin America. They also had a pretty good relationship at this stage with Chiang Kai-shek in China, who had a vote and also was going to be on the Security Council. So from the Soviet perspective, look, the Americans have got uh, proxy votes in the GA. Uh, Britain's going to have proxy votes in the GA. We need to have some as well. Yeah, and this whole idea that the Ukraine was um, somehow independent was obviously BS because, like you said, Khrushchev is there. And if um, and if Britain's got five votes and if they can get um, India in, it'd be six votes. So Churchill's not sweating this too much. And so because of that abundance of votes, he's certainly going to not freak out as much as the Americans about, you know, do they get an extra vote or two? You know, whatever. But there was there was um, there was a. Uh, one gentleman who made it clear he was under he was under bah, 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 bah. he was being watched by the NKVD and he pretty much told everybody look yeah I mean Stalin controls the Ukraine it will never make any independent decisions uh, whatsoever but in order to strengthen his hand ever since fe- February of forty four Stalin has been putting very professional strong willed uh, experienced people in the foreign minister's positions in these various countries really strengthening their argument that these guys will be bringing their own thinking to the UN and not just doing whatever I tell them to it's a, it's a very good cover story but everybody knows that it's BS and again giving this guy an extra two or two or three votes when you've got so many I mean it's a pretty good argument that Stalin's going to make, and, and it's going to wear the other guys down in time. So Stalin also claimed, he played the sad card, he claimed that his hold over the Ukraine was actually weak, and he needed he needed to get them on the General Assembly to secure them. Otherwise, who knows what could happen? Uh, he's, he's playing the whole um, sort of... Do me, do me a solid card that Frankie and, and Pooh Bear have been playing uh, to him. He's saying, look, there, there are stories about the Ukraine leaving the USSR. And this is actually true. Beria's intelligence reports were full of stories about the Ukrainian insurgents in the Western Ukraine causing problems. So, you know, Stalin's playing the old uh, do me a solid card back at them, even though, as we've said, he's got Khrushchev, his loyal bulldog, uh, as the leader of the Ukraine. So he's going to be doing everything he can to keep them uh, in the USSR. But um, there had been certain um, reforms done in the republics. I think since the Tehran conference in '43. Each of the republics in the USSR had developed their own commissariats of foreign affairs, which enabled them to participate individually 
in international affairs, not just be represented by Moscow. Um, and according to Stalin, this means, oh, they do their own thing. Oh, these kids, man, like, they don't even tell me what they're doing. They run off, they vote this way, they vote that way. They're thinking for themselves. Oh. <laughs> but uh, no one no one really believed it. Everyone, everyone knew that at the end of the day, Stalin was uh, the final arbiter of everything yeah. they did. Yeah. But... They're so happy that he's agreed to support the Security Council voting protocols that they didn't want to scupper the whole thing. Um, but, as I said, the whole one nation, one vote thing is something that they can't just uh, give up on or be seen to give up on too easily. Um, and Frank tries to shelve the entire discussion. He had, in fact, promised the uh, Congress back in the United States before he went to Yalta that if the if Stalin tried to pull something shady like this, that Frank would argue to put every state of the United States as separate members with separate votes in the United Nations General Assembly. Because basically that's what he saw the Soviet republics as, as just states of the USSR. So he tries to shelve the whole thing um, and move on to ratifying the Security Council voting. Um uh, and he said, look, uh, you know, I think we should have the first conference for putting together the United Nations uh, in the next four weeks. But then Pooh Bear steps into the shit. So there was a conversation uh, between FDR and Stalin. FDR is trying to, uh, like you said, FDR is really against this one vote, one nation, uh, you know, changing that in any way. So so when... um. They get the good news about accepting the voting procedure. You know, FDR is flattering Stalin. He says, like, this is a great step forward. It will be welcomed by the peoples of the world. And um, and not only this, but I also want to get the first meeting of the United Nations. I want to hurry up and get this going. Maybe we can have it by the end of the March. Maybe we can have it in next in the next four weeks, that kind of thing. And like, and like you mentioned, um, Burns had, had threatened the parts of members of the United States delegation said, hey, if Stalin's going to be like that, we will get every single state in the United States to apply to the UN. So we'll just flood them with our votes. So anyways, so in some ways they're making they're making uh, concessions, but in, in some ways FDR has got part of his delegation who's working against him. He They want the opposite of what he wants. And so at least now that they're making um, they're making some progress. And it was very smart of Stalin to tie the British um, the Dominion uh, dominions, comparing them to the republics uh, of his, his Soviet republics. Because, again, because if they're allowed in, my people should be allowed in. But now comes Churchill with his own little version uh, showing his own true colors, that he is a man who is simply looking out for his empire. All he cares about is the British Empire, even though it's fading. And he's about to go into an emotional speech that he has done several times at, at, at the Yalta conference. Yeah, so Pooh Bear stands up and everyone says, look, put some pants on for fuck's sake. And he says, I love honey. And they say, you got anything else to say? He says... I express my heartfelt thanks to Marshal Stalin and the Soviet government for the great step forward which they have taken to meet the views put forward by President Roosevelt as to voting on the Security Council of the World Organization. The agreement of the three great powers, which has been reached round the table this afternoon, would give relief and satisfaction to people all over the world. 
as regards membership of the World Organization. The suggestion just put forward by Mr. Molotov differs greatly from the previous suggestions made by the Soviet government. Everyone must feel that here also a remarkable advance has been made towards general agreement. We could never agree to any system which excluded self-governing dominions from the position that they held and justified for a quarter of a century. For these reasons, we could not but hear the proposals of the Soviet government with a feeling of profound sympathy. According to the British note-taker, Churchill's heart went out to mighty Russia, bleeding from her wounds, but beating down the tyrants in her path. He recognised that a nation of 180 million might well look with the questioning eye at the constitutional arrangements of the British Commonwealth, which resulted in our having more than one voice in the Assembly. So, Pooh Bear has stepped in to support this position of Stalin's wanting two or three more votes in the General Assembly. Absolutely against the wishes of Roosevelt and the American contingent. So, we, we see a major break here. This, uh, what we've seen in previous days is Roosevelt throwing uh, uh, mm. gifts to Stalin and pissing off Pooh Bear. Now Pooh Bear turns around and starts throwing gifts to the Russians, pissing off the Americans immensely. So we see, we're seeing this. Now this has been going back to, I guess, Malta before they got to Yalta when Roosevelt wouldn't even sit and discuss strategy with Churchill. Now, only four days in to the Yalta conference, they, they might as well just be, you know, throwing eggs and chucking brown eyes at each other across the table. This is, this is how bad it's become. The Allies, it's not just the Americans versus the Russians here. The British and the Americans are, all, are basically at each other's throats right. in a diplomatic context, but they're basically just like knifing each other at every opportunity. Yeah. So Churchill, he ended it with thanking FDR for not saying no to the Russian request and that he could not quite say yes outright because first he had to talk to his war cabinet, which is only fair. He is their representative. But however, FDR is not done trying again. He says the question should go to the foreign ministers, but Churchill shoots this down. Churchill says that the foreign ministers have too much work to do already. And and you have to remember that um, the war is still on. The British government's got enough to do. Some of the European countries are you know, obviously in the war. They're affected by the war. They would not be fully represented if the United Nations met too soon. So, so Churchill and FDR are going at it, and Stalin is just sitting there quiet, smoking his pipe, chuckling inwards. But, yeah, these two guys are not only tearing each other apart, but they're taking turns trying to kiss his ass. So, um... Churchill, uh, but FDR does not give up. He tries to calm Churchill down. And he says, whoa, 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 dude. Dude, calm down, piglet. The first meeting of the United States would just be to establish the United Nations in principle. The real organizational work wouldn't happen for another three or six months after that. However, Churchill, like Stalin, is now unmoved. 
So Stettinius passes a note to FDR, and he says that the Secretary of War, Henry Stimson, is actually on Churchill's side. And even though FDR is the president, he does have to listen to his cabinet. I mean, this is a democracy of sorts. Um, But Hopkins writes uh, his own note, and he says, uh, there is something behind this talk of Churchill's. It's perhaps it would be better for wait until later on tonight to find out what's on his mind. So again, FDR proposes... um, the president proposes one more time that this issue go to the foreign ministers. Churchill, I guess maybe he's worn down, finally agrees. Stalin, who's been sitting there quietly this in time, just watching him both with his eyes, not saying anything, gently backs the, the president. And Stalin says, the foreign ministers will not make decisions, but merely report to the conference. And then they take a short break. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Hopkins, the note that he passed to Roosevelt actually said, obviously, Pooh Bear has a honeybee in his bonnet. Let's cool <laughs> the jets and let him go eat some honey and calm the fuck down and find out what the fuck is going on with him. Um, so, yeah, the, these tensions between the US and the UK are really rising to the surface. Uh, and it's shocking both the Americans and the British who are president. Lord Cadogan, uh, just a reminder, he's the British Permanent Undersecretary for Foreign Affairs, wrote to his wife that night. He said, The PM got rather off the rails. Silly old man. Without a word of warning to Anthony or me, he plunged into a long harangue about world organisation, knowing nothing whatever of what he was talking about and making complete nonsense of the whole thing. The worst of it was that he... It was <laughs> The worst of it was that what he said was completely contrary to the line already agreed with the Americans. However, I was able to explain privately to them that they needn't take it too tragically, that it really didn't mean anything, and that we could clean up the mess afterwards. (laughs) Really didn't like him, did he? The British Permanent Undersecretary for Foreign Affairs referring to Churchill as a silly old man who knows nothing about what he's talking about. Damn. Now... Now, that's a very different perception of uh, Churchill than the one we've inherited down over the last 60 or 70 years, right, as being this wise, uh, revered statesman. statesman. Yeah, even his own guys are like, stupid old fucker, doesn't know what he's talking about, shut up. So, I mean, and I think that's fascinating, right? Obviously, this is just one guy's opinion. Right. And he's a, he's a politician and he's a, he's a lord and all this kind of shit. So, but, you know, it does go to show that there were different views of Churchill. Uh, and as we've explained before, like before he became prime minister, pretty much everyone in, in British um, high society and, and in the political system kind of thought he was a complete dick. Um, so, and that hasn't gone away since he's been prime minister. So this view that we've inherited in the West of Churchill is really, really been sanitized and whitewashed, uh, in the last 50, 60 years. And and not only that, but adding to that, when Churchill had been giving his speech, FDR again, wrote a note and he said, all this is rot. And then he crosses out, crosses out the word rot and he writes local politics, Hopkins writes back and he agrees and he says, I am quite sure now that he is thinking about the next election in Britain. Um, 
and it was in that the and I think it was only the Soviet records that covered that, not the other two. But again, FDR uses his own appeal concerning local politics. And he says, look, the, U- the United States, the United Nations has to have their first meeting during, during the war. Because if I, if I can't go back and tell the American people, we are so serious about this that we're going to have the first meeting soon. You know, my people, my party might be in trouble during the next election. So everybody's now, like you said earlier, Stalin was mentioning the Ukraine. Uh, Churchill's thinking about his his next election back home, and now FDR is saying, "I've got to cover my party, my uh, party members back home." So everybody's trying to do something nice, and they're trying to do something for the world. But at the same time, either they're all really thinking about their local politics, or they're using that as an excuse. Yeah, uh, Frank actually said that it, it would be easier to get the necessary two-thirds majority in the Senate to get the U.S. to agree to participating in the United Nations because just remember they, they didn't participate in the League of Nations. The U.S. <laughs> right. didn't participate in the League of Nations and he's, this is a major hurdle for him and he says it's going to be easier to get the Senate to agree to this, to us joining the United Nations if it takes place during wartime. Yeah. Uh, once once the war's over, people go back to well, I don't know, you know, yeah. man, you know, maybe. I don't know. It, there's there's more politics gets involved when it's wartime. You can go, you can, you know, as we've seen happen a lot in the last fifteen years, you can push things through on the grounds of national security, and it right. carries a lot more weight when you're in the middle of a war. So he actually, uh, well, the interesting thing here is this whole discussion that happened between Frank and Pooh Bear. Um, where Frank brought up this whole thing about the Senate, that conversation didn't make it into either the American or the British record of the meeting. Mm. Only in the Soviet record of the meeting. How did it get there? Well, the Soviets wrote it down, but the British and the Americans edited it it out of... Of this happened. It's happened during the plenary meeting. This happened across the table. This isn't spy shit. Right. That conversation happened across the table. But the American, the official American and British version, didn't record that discussion about the impact on domestic politics. That doesn't sound right. Well, wh- why no, do I'm you just think? <laughs> why do you think that would be, Ray? Because you're supposed to be there doing God's work or world peace or some crap, whatever. You don't want to sit there and go, and by the way, you know, what's good for me and my party back home? You can't make it partisan because the people who have stars in their eyes back home, the voters, whatever, would not appreciate that. So it's like, what's what's that the expression? You don't ever want to see two things being made, laws or sausages. The people back home don't want to hear about this kind of stuff. They just want to think that their guys there doing noble work and not just trying to cover their ass. Yeah, so even the record of the discussions at Yalta was being censored and treated as political propaganda back home. Nothing is sacred, people. That's the lesson from this episode. Nothing is sacred. <laughs> I, I, you know, even somebody as uh, um, skeptical as me, mm-hmm. some might say cynical. I, I was astounded by that. <laughs> that even at the the most important international meeting probably in world history certainly in 20th century history right uh it was being censored and used as political propaganda back home or they're removing the parts of it that might not play well back home 
Here's uh, what I want to know. I, does FDR say something and then he turns to the guy? Don't write that down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would love to know how it did it get edited out later. Did he turn to go scratch all that? I would love to know how that happened. Uh, I'm sure it was reviewed later, and they were yeah. like, "Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, yeah, let's Keep not let's that. not put that in there." Yeah, that 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 bit where uh, <laughs> you know. Churchill what dropped his balls in my mouth and I was teabagging him. Yeah, don't put that bit in. People don't need to know that. Um, but don't tear it up. Give it to me. I want to keep it for... Anyway, just yeah. give it to me. Uh, I want the video of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the, the, the other thing that's interesting here is that Stalin, with his concerns about the number of votes that they're each going to have, proxy votes in the General Assembly, was on the fucking money. Because yeah. it turns out that that night, Pooh Bear sent a letter to his deputy prime minister, Clement Attlee, um, and he asked for approval for his position uh, from the War Cabinet. Um, but he also explained that the Soviets had reduced their claim for membership in the GA from 16 down to two. Um, he, he said that he thought the demands for a third Lithuania was little more than a negotiating ploy, and he's probably right. Yeah. He said that um, these republics had suffered most in the war and fought well, and then he wrote, For us to have four or five members, six if India is included, when Russia has only one, is asking a great deal of us in assembly of this kind. In view of other important concessions by them, which are achieved or pending, I should like to be able to make a friendly gesture to Russia in this matter. That they should have two besides their chief is not too much to ask, and we will be in a strong position, in my judgment, because we shall not be the only multiple voter in the field. Yeah, he knows what he's so, doing. It's like, give him something, throw him a bone. But, yeah, but my point here is that Churchill himself, in this letter, says that they are a multiple voter and that they will have four or five or six votes <laughs> in the General Assembly. So this whole thing about one nation, one vote, even oh. Churchill didn't believe that was true. Churchill is trying to stack the deck. And what he's saying here is like, all right, give the Russians two. We've got six, so it doesn't really yeah, matter. Yeah. We'll still be able to <laughs> outvote them. But uh, so I just, I mean, again, I just want to make the point that um, the decks are stacked, yes. that uh, what they tell us is going on and what's really going on when you have a chance to look behind the scenes and read the private memos and the <laughs> private diaries and the letters, which quite often doesn't happen for 50, 60 yeah, years. absolutely. You, you get to see the sausage being made, and you realize that, yeah, like there's there's a lot of, uh, lot of fucking, what's the word I'm looking for? Illusion, the way that right. they sell it to us. There's a lot of bullshit that doesn't pass my bullshit filter right. <laughs> No, it doesn't. We're so much to make a show about that. But anyway, I we'll should. get to that later. So so as as you can obviously tell, Churchill is openly opposing FDR. And this is crazy. And some say that he was still mad at FDR and the Americans for not aligning their actions when they were in Malta 
getting ready to go to Yalta. So again, that's why you sit down and have a war council with your supposed ally before you go into the fray. So you're all both on the same page because they're both shocking each other. And obviously they're, they're pleasing Stalin immensely. Now, Lord Morin, Churchill's doctor, says that Churchill was uh, confused and stressed out by FDR. He's like, uh, Churchill's sitting there writing, the president no longer seems to the prime minister to take an intelligent interest in the war. Often he does not seem even to read the papers the prime minister gives him. Sometimes it appears as if he has no thought, he has not not thought out. Uh, he does not have a thought out recipe for anything beyond his troubles with Congress. So here's the thing, and we're gonna, there's some other examples in this later. Is FDR losing it? Is his mind starting to go bye bye? Is this all too much for him? Is he playing a deep game because he's been playing deep games in politics his entire life? And there's a lot to. Um, to you don't have to admire it, but to a lot of respect about that. I mean, he would even keep his closest advisors guessing half the time. Or is he starting to lose it? So people are not really sure where FDR is at at this point mentally. And some people are going to look at him and think he's doing great. Some people think he's losing it. And Churchill's one of those people that is very concerned about his supposed ally not being as mentally fit as he has been in the past. Or some people think that uh, he's just doing a Columbo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that clears that up then. Okay, Doc. Uh, thank you very much, and I'm sorry I bothered you. No bother at all. Well, listen, there's one more thing. Uh, you don't remember what your wife was wearing that night, do you? <laughs> oh, it's so great to watch him do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. He would just lull you into it, and then boom! Hit you with a yeah. question, yeah. So that's the that's the big question about Frankie No Legs here is is he <laughs> is he lulling them in? Is he is he pulling a Columbo or is he really just lost it? Lord Moran, as you mentioned, Lord Moran's a doctor, and yeah. he thinks he's lost it. Some members yeah. of the American contingent also think Roosevelt's lost it. Some think he's not. He's being a brilliant tactician here. Hard to really get a sense of what's really going on. Although we know he died like little more than a month later. So yeah, I'm yeah. voting for, yeah, losing it. Now, let's go back a bit. Remember how Pooh Bear just popped down in between Steady and Frankie and said, <laughs> My love, honey, they're going for Dumby Oaks. Well, it turns out. How did he know that? It turns out he was given a little heads up. Not a little head, but a little heads up. On their position, maybe you got both. Maybe you got a little head, had a little heads up. <laughs> because Uncle Joe had been playing him that day before the plenary conference. Conference. <clears throat> so the previous day, Stalin um, had been disturbed by this united front that the Americans and the British had showed regarding Poland and also the veto power on the Security Council. But he knew that his position, the Soviet position on the Security Council, was probably closer to that of the British. And so he decided to uh, split the United Mm. Front between Churchill and the US. Because he could tell, as you said, he kept sitting back, smoking his pipe, watching what was going on. He knew that Pooh Bear was feeling increasingly isolated from his American friends and that he wasn't feeling heard or loved or listened to. And and Uncle Joe saw it as an opportunity to sneak in there. It's like it's a bit like you had your eye on this girl for a while. <laughs> She's got a boyfriend, you right. know. And yeah. he's he's like he's the captain of the football team. He's a jock. 
He's good looking, white teeth, you know, the tan. You know, yeah. Got the hair, got the got the sports car, you know, he's got everything. And she's gorgeous, you know, mini skirts, big boobs. You're 16. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I want a piece of that. But she's here. She's got this guy. And then he treats her, you know, yeah. a bit harshly one day in front of his friends. And uh, he's he's like, oh, oh Sandy. Oh. And uh, <laughs> you just kind of sidle up there and you go, you put your arm around and you're like, wow, Sandy, that's... Uh, that's kind of harsh. I yeah. would never do that to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Joey Badafuco. No, what the fuck is John Travolta's <laughs> name in that? In Greece? <laughs> I can't even. Oh my God, Greece. Johnny Razmatel. No. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it a million times. Um, anyway, uh, 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 you just sidle up there and you go, you know, you put your arm around his shoulder and you say, here, put your head on my shoulder. Like, it's okay. Aww. And then you slide your hand down her back and, <laughs> you know, up her skirt. And she's like, no. oh, you you are my one true love. Um, At least for a night. This is what Stalin's. This is what Stalin's pulling on Churchill. He's got his hand. He's got oh, his hand fine. on his ass. Right, slipping, slipping down the the belt. Well, Churchill's not wearing a belt. He's wearing braces, so he's got a bit of wiggle room there. Uh, you know, he's stretching the braces out. He's sliding it down. He's no. got to the back of his wife fronts. <laughs> You know, you know what Churchill likes when you take your finger and you wrap it around his little pigtail. He loves that. Loves that. A little, little known fact: uh, Churchill was a big fan of the uh, g-string underwear. Like he liked the way the line just sort of went down the crack of his ass. So, you know, there's been a naked ass cheek there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, on. yeah. Serious. Get serious again. So he yeah. realizes that uh, Churchill's feeling a bit unloved. So. They'd sort of been blowing smoke up his ass at, at Molotov's statement at the plenary session where he said that they were accepting Dumby Oaks. He said, oh, you know, it was stuff that Churchill said about the voting procedure. That really struck home. That really mm-hmm. made a lot of sense. And, you know, we really understood it for the first time when the prime minister explained it to us. And, you know, oh, we took on board with a wow. He is yeah. so... He is so eloquent and so wise and so orange, and he really loves honey. <laughs> really and his cool. taste, his taste in underwear is really, you know, <laughs> I mean, quite notch. progressive for uh, right. a man of his age in 1945. Um, we couldn't help but be convinced. So they've been sucking up to him um, all day, which is how he knew about the Dumby Oaks thing, and might explain why he was. Uh, uh, in sort of supporting the Soviet position during the discussions that day because they'd been blowing smoke up his ass the <laughs> entire day. In another letter to Clement Attlee that he wrote the next day, Churchill wrote, All the American proposals for Dumbarton Oaks Constitution were accepted by the Russians, who stated that it was largely due to our explanation that they have found themselves in a position to embrace the scheme wholeheartedly. So, damn. You know, Chir- Churchill didn't even write and say, "Yeah, they're on board." No, <laughs> he wrote and said, "They're on board because of me." Yeah, wonderful so he, me. Yeah, he totally fucking believed that he was the one that you know could 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 wrap the Soviets around his little fingers. Stalin, of course, as we know, was a master at playing subordinates 
off each other at the Kremlin. He had survived. Fuck, how long has Lenin been dead now? 20 years? Yeah. 20, Stalin yeah. has survived 20 years as the leader of the Politburo, as basically the dictator. Um, he is no fool when it comes to manipulating people. And these two, and, and I'm sure neither is neither is Churchill or Roosevelt. I mean, they're they're political masters in their own domains. Although we know Churchill was sort of out in the wilderness at various times, and, and his only PM because they went to war, and no one else really wanted it. He seemed like the right war p- president. Um, FDR is probably a political master in the U.S. way of doing things, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either of them were prepared to uh, play at the level that Stalin was playing here in terms of straight-up manipulation. And and everybody, no matter who you are, has their kryptonite. And as you can easily imagine, Churchill's kryptonite is his ego. And... (laughs) Hunt ego smothered in honey. La, la, yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. 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 So do you want, do you want to stop it here? Or do you want to go a little further? No, we're going to stop it here. I'm going to read some heroes. Um, and, uh, I need a hero. New heroes, new supporters, subscribers to the show. We want to thank from the bottom of our little orange buttholes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ulrich Hoxer, Mitchell Hrachia, Ben Price, Ishmael Strella, Claire Reed, Karen Murday, Sam Norderman, Michael Noble, Peter Barr, Matteo Masiello, uh, Adam Bruschi. Have we we've done these names before? I'm sure I've read out Adam Bruschi and made a joke about somebody says really? give me a Bruschi and he says sure. Yeah, I'm sure we have. Maybe it was on another okay. show though. I, well, they so deserve many fucking shows. I don't know where we. They deserve it again. Another series. Have, yeah, have. yeah, they have. Um, they deserve it. Paul Volkovinsky, Umaya Raziel, Afsa, Molly Malone, Jeffrey Barker, Dan Bellett, Mark McCallum, Boris Regan, Jason Paff, Eric Rogers, Victoria Tisdale, Alex Sebo, John Fork, Arun Hiraganj, Karen V, Rosalie Menadieu, Linda Phillips, Kim Burton, Corey Gardner. Thank you very much, DEFCON 1 Thank supporters, you. for your faith and support and, uh, and um, I don't know, love. Let's just call it love. Thank you love. for loving. Thank you for loving yeah. us. <laughs> DEFCON 2. We have a new DEFCON 2 supporter, uh, Annalises Villapa. Thank you. Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Annalises. Annalice. Annalice, maybe. Villapa. Uh, and DEFCON 3, my old mate, Nigel Watson. Nigel Wa. Nigel. Old Mo- Nigel, old Microsoft colleague of mine. He's a Kiwi, but, you know, he's one of the good ones. Oh, um, maybe I can visit him when I go, to, when I go there. Oh, no, he lives here. He lives here. Oh, but uh, he's yeah, ex. There's no, no, there's no Kiwis living in New Zealand anymore, man. They all got the <laughs> fuck out. Uh, it's just sheep and hobbits. That's all there are over there now. I'm good with that. Kim, I was gonna, I was gonna say, if you can play Yalta Chess online, if you sign up for level three, maybe you, me, and Cam can uh, play a game. Yeah, I don't know if you can play it online, but I thought I read maybe. somewhere, but I, 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 sh- oh. I should have investigated. But I'll yeah. check again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's it. Thank you.
curtain has descended across the continent. Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.